0: Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, episode 59, it's been a crazy year for motorcycle travel, but the best is yet to come. All that and more coming up as well. We have a a special announcement about a new regular co-host that will be joining us starting next month for January 2021. Now, I want to remind you this episode is supported by Fresh Tracks, facilitating adventurous conversations. That's freshtracks.co.uk. We thank them very much. And before we get going, I want to give a shout out to some people that have really helped the show incredibly in this past month. Here we go. Jim Moss, Dave Burgess, William Smith, Mark Plank, Fritz Rada, Christian Campman, Jack Atkins, David Nichols, and Dave Priggle. Some of those names you've heard before because um, they've been in there supporting the show for a long time. It's wonderful having people like this support the show. And if you'd like to, anything $50 or more gets you a shout-out here on the show, just like you heard me do. Um, We also send out some cool Adventure Rider Radio stickers for your bike. We would love your monthly support on our Patreon account. We also have some benefits in there, some stickers as well. But anything $10 or more gets you a sticker, and and we have sort of a bunch of things going up from there. Anyway, drop by our website, AdventureRiderRadio.com, and click on support. Now coming up, we're talking about a crazy year and how it may affect motorcycle travel in the future. Good fun and some great conversation all coming up. Here we go with Adventure Rider Radio Raw for December 2020.
1: I had to do something right, didn't
2: I? You all need
1: to do something. Just once for
0: the year. Recorded live from the Canoe S Media Studio, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today, the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet. I'm joined by my regular esteemed Overland co hosts, beginning with Sam Manicom, who's in the UK. Hello, Sam.
3: Hey, hello, everybody. Good to be with everybody. Um, And um, yeah, I'm going to start off by saying happy Christmas to everybody because I'm already feeling Christmassy. Birgit and I were out um, late last night having a stroll through the back streets of Exeter. And it's almost like the city's just come alive with all of the Christmas trees and lights on the outside of houses and all of that sort of stuff. It's really nice to see.
0: Let's bring in Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks. They are in Australia at their homes and Brian is just getting ready to go for a ride as soon as we're done doing this. Brian and Shirley, how are you two this fine morning?
1: We're very well. Um, Oh, well, I just told a fib. (laughs) I might have been a little over refreshed last night with our house guests, but that's okay. We're up and at them this morning and we're sitting right next to our Christmas tree, which we decorated uh, two days ago. So it's very Christmassy here in Australia, even though the sun's shining and it's glorious summer.
2: Yeah, we're surrounded by Christmas presents, Uh, the tree's got little lights on it, uh, a a live Christmas tree, of course, and um, the decorations are on the house. Um, Shirley's uh, girlfriends came up from Melbourne that she hasn't seen for 10 months because of the lockdown, and uh, the girls partied hard last (laughs) night. I I call them my harem; these three, and uh, they had a great time, but I tell you, they outlasted me. I went to bed last night left them to it.
1: no staying power that's his trouble yeah, well, i was
0: going to say what, what do you do you go and put yourself in your, in your room and just barricade the door and
3: uh, <laughs> 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 hope things don't get out of hand <laughs> wait over refresh, oh, is that
0: an australian that's... term it is,
1: it is.
3: Oh, yeah. surely i'm saving that one may i steal it please because that's brilliant <laughs> oh, i like it. that
1: it is a good one yes you may use it anytime
0: you like sam <laughs> thank you so much grant johnson <laughs> is in british columbia canada hello grant
4: there and welcome to everybody. I'm just relaxing, enjoying the terrible, lousy, horrible weather. I mean it's so dark out there, it looks like it's just just turning light, but it's pouring rain. But that's okay. We're warm, we're dry, all's good, all's well with the world to a point. As (laughs) as good as it can be in the current conditions. And I think that's that's something that's really important is to say, okay, yes, COVID's out there and there's some problems, but do what you can with what you've got and appreciate what you have and feel good about it. And I'm really working hard on that. Wow.
0: That's, that's very, nice. I, I'm <laughs> glad you, you grabbed yourself. I noticed you backpedaled there immediately. <laughs> and and <laughs>
2: <laughs> great. What, what do you mean the weather's terrible? What's it like? What um, you- if it was
4: raining any harder, we'd be swimming. <laughs>
2: Wow. <laughs> and flip us on. Yeah. Well, I've got to say, you know what weather's like in Melbourne, Australia, where you know, oh, yes. you just wait an hour and the weather changes. Yes, well, i I'd arranged, <laughs> as, a, as a good father I am, my son has a, a Triumph Tiger and he doesn't service it properly. So, dad has dr- ridden halfway down to where he lives and given him one of my bikes and taken his Triumph Tiger and ridden it back um, to get it serviced mm-hmm. and change tyres and all that sort of stuff. And, um, uh, as I'm coming back, it bucketed down and I've walked in the house and left a you know, when you get off the bike and you leave a puddle of water through the house. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I did that. (laughs) So so that was two days ago. And now today it's a beautiful sunny day. Yeah. I miss Melbourne. I tell you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How does that work for Christmas for you guys? I mean, obviously you guys are used to having Christmas in summertime, but I mean, you, everything you see with Christmas seems to be associated with, with snow. I often get a kick out of it because it comes, a lot of it comes from California. Look at those movies, those classic Christmas movies, you know, being made in California, you know, in the heat and everything in studios. How does that work? So with you guys, how do you relate to the the TV programs, the, the stuff you see?
1: Uh, don't well, you. We know it's the other side
0: of the world, Jim. We're not, um. Oh, well, you were onto that. <ahead>.
1: And um, we have at different times wished for a white Christmas and I spent a white Christmas many years ago in uh, in Northern Europe and I've got to tell you, 30 degrees sitting by the pool eating um, prawns and, and salads and stuff is probably a lot better <laughs> than yes. freezing cold and snow, just saying,
3: just my yeah. opinion. Shirley, <laughs> I am going to agree with you totally. I love to see the snow but... I'll just watch it in movies, thanks. Give me the sunshine. Yeah. I've been <laughs> lucky enough to spend yeah, yeah. three Christmases in Australia, and yeah, I'm quite happy to sit down on the beach on in the sunshine.
4: Yeah, I clearly remember my first uh, Christmas in Australia. We moved to Australia in, what was it, 89, 90? I can't even remember now. I've lost track. Um, but our first Christmas in Australia, we said, right, this is Australia, this is summer, it's going to be different, and we're going to... Australian style. So we went to the beach, took a picnic hamper and lunch and the, our turkey. And we had our Christmas dinner on the beach in Manly. And it was lovely. It was so nice. good.
1: Manly's my favorite place, Grant. That's where I grew up. <laughs> oh, yes. Well,
4: yes, yeah. I know Manly well. I mean, we lived there for two years. That was great. And we, and we had a build. we were in a building right on the water. We Susan could see the ferry coming from the city and say, right, time to go. And she'd head out down straight onto the ferry and off to work.
0: It was great. Oh, fantastic. Nice.
2: Well, you know, you know, we've had a you might have not caught up with it, but we've got a trade dispute going on in against China and Australia here. Yep. And uh, Christmas time is gonna be fantastic because Crayfish that normally go to China are are very, very cheap here at the moment, so that means crayfish for Christmas dinner is about half price or less, so that's going to be fantastic.
1: The last time we had cheap crayfish at Christmas was when the Japanese emperor died, (laughs) and Japan didn't import any crayfish for Christmas, and because China has... Um, Refuse to accept any of our crayfish. We're going to be
0: eating lots. Wow, and inexpensive nice. I imagine too. But it's crayfish. Is that a freshwater crayfish you're talking about? No, no. it's lobster. Oh, okay. Lobster, because yeah. okay. we have crayfish here it's that are freshwater. Enough. Nobody eats them. They're tiny little things.
2: Yeah, we've got a thing called yabbies, which are a freshwater, um, <laughs> like a, a lobster, I suppose. But they're
1: tiny. Like oh. I think they'd be what you're talking about. Uh. Sure,
2: the size of a beer bottle
1: some yabbies honestly don't stop
2: (laughs) and then there's Brian
1: would make a good fisherman talking about the one that got away
0: (laughs) so this is this is episode 59 we're doing this marks the end of five years of doing raw five fantastic years I have to say I mean every month it's it's just a blast to sit down with all of you and and do this thing and it's I mean I can't believe we're doing it five years down the road um, we've went a lot, through a lot of things, a lot of topics we, we've talked about, and now even this pandemic we're going through. Hopefully, we're just about out. It feels like we've sort of, you know, we can see the door opening. Um, I hope that is uh, that is the case for it. But um, coming up, starting next year, January 2021, you're going to hear a, a new regular voice on Raw, someone that you've heard uh, as a guest in the past, and that's Michelle lampfair uh, Michelle is a motorcycle traveler. She's the author of two books, and uh, she was involved with the the Women's uh, Riders World Relay, and she's got the the Black Hills Moto Film Festival, festival, and Rev Sisters that she was telling us about on the last mm-hmm. episode. Um, she's been a, a guest on Adventure Rider Radio, and we've had her here on Raw. And of course, she was on last month. Now, Michelle is is going to be with us permanently, full time. She's replacing Graham Field, who is no longer with us. He's decided to ride off in in other directions. So we wish Graham the best and. Um, yeah, Michelle will be here in January. So kicking off a, a new year with a bit of a change. And I mean, I don't want to wrap up this year yet, but uh, pretty neat, eh? Five years. That's pretty cool.
1: Five years, pretty good. And now the girls start the Whoa. takeover.
3: That's <laughs> right. I didn't even see that one Shirley, that was one of the things Jeez. that I said to Birgit when Jim told us the news. I said, oh, great. Shirley's going to have permanent company now and not get down by fan comments. Do you think we're going to get ganged up on here?
0: Oh
1: well,
3: yeah. yeah,
0: the, the dynamics yeah. could really two change. of them as a gang. Trust me.
1: <laughs> I'll be chatting to Michelle in between well, now and January. We'll so <laughs> <People> have plans.
0: <laughs> well, um, well, well, one of the things that we, we we want to talk about here today is, is something we, we can't get a, away from. You know, what the, the funny thing is, I don't like talking about the pandemic very much. I really avoid it, although I know it does come up in our conversation because how can it not? I mean, virtually everything you do is is affected by it. But what about you guys? Like, what, what sort of what sort of routines? How's how's your life changed? And and the reason I, I I want to talk about this now is because, like I say, I think I think we can see the light at the end of the tunnel here. I think we're about to escape from this thing. And and Shirley and Brian, you guys probably feel like you are escaping from it now.
1: Oh, yeah, it's it's quite extraordinary here that one case makes front page news and, and leads all the television bulletins now. We've done really well, but we have closed the international borders. The only um, foreigners, not foreigners, people from overseas allowed in Australia at the moment are returning Australians and they have to go into quarantine.
2: Yeah, it's not only the international borders. We closed our state borders so it couldn't spread and um, there was a lot of hue and cry amongst some in the community about that but really it did have a big impact they used the army and the police forces uh, across the country to close the borders and uh, people were restricted to travel for only a few reasons outside their home to go and get um, essential supplies um, visit um, sick relatives And really, that was about it, surely, from memory. And um, even in the country here where there's been no spread, we were limited to um, uh, 30 kilometres, I think, from your home. And uh, you couldn't stop anywhere. You have to wear face masks. And um, there's quite substantial fines, like $1,600, I think it was, for being caught without a face mask or or a reason to be out. Um, So that stopped... And I've got to say, a lot of young people still wanted to party on and do all those sorts of things. I felt sorry for them. But seriously, we've done a great job. We got up to 800 deaths, 17,000 infections, um, and we stopped it in its tracks. And it's been, I think we're up to 40 days without any infections here in the state of Victoria, which is amazing.
1: And when we say 800 deaths, that was um, over the whole pandemic. Not in one day like some yeah. countries. So we've done well, but it has been a very, very different place. The reason my girlfriends and I had such a party on last night is they couldn't leave Melbourne. They both live in the city and they couldn't come up and visit us because there was a five-kilometre um, curfew put on them, a distance curfew. So uh, now the state is open, the country's open. Um, we're going to have what they're now calling a COVID normal Christmas where you can have, you know, 30 people in your home and, you um, The restaurants have no caps on them now apart from uh, social distancing, the tables apart. Uh, You can stand at the bar of a pub now whereas before it had to be table service. So um, Australia's pretty much back to normal. So we've done a good job.
2: COVID, they call it COVID normal. We went to a a, um, cafe yesterday for a bite to eat with the girls and um, you have a QR code and you register that you've gone into that business. So if there is a spread, it can be traced really quickly. Oh, wow. And uh, the the, the testing that they've done, uh, they do tests on the sewage. So they can test uh, whether there's um, COVID in the sewage system of a town and they can genomic test it back to the fact of its source. Our last outbreak in Australia was um, a flight crew from the US came into Sydney no one can leave. If you come in in a flight crew, you go into quarantine into a hotel, and uh, one of the one of the staff or one of the pilots or, or one of the crew had um, COVID uh, 19, but it didn't get out because they're in lockdown. They can't go go out. They get in the plane. They head off again.
3: Do you know I'm sitting here feeling absolutely stunned with respect for Australians? Now, my attitude to Australians has always been, you guys are a bunch of rebels. Um, <laughs> you, don't, you don't like you don't like towing the line. But I tell you what, th- I mean, you have really pulled out all stops on this, and where the rest of us are going to continue struggling and battling. Um, you guys are going to be getting life back to normal, although COVID normal. And I think that's a great say- saying. And I love what you said about yeah, okay, the restaurants they're still they're open again now, but the tables are still apart. And when you mentioned earlier on about um, um, your state still going into supermarkets and so on with face masks and things like that, they're just common sense. Mm, and yes. uh, my hat is very, very firmly off to you guys. Top job.
0: Yeah, and yeah, imagine that COVID normal. That's that's, that's going to be – that's probably going to be everywhere for, for a number of years, I would think.
2: And, and travel, mate. You know, like if um, – we've all travelled, and you had to have your medical uh, booklet with you with Ooh. your yellow fever certificate in it. Remember that? Yep. Well, yes. You know, that's that's still current, and I reckon that's what we're, everyone who yeah. wants to travel is going to have to have some sort of documentation that shows that they've had their vaccine they mm-hmm. yeah, certainly willing to Australia, and uh, I reckon it'll be in other places around the world. Yeah, it's technically possible to put it into the passport
4: because all passports now pretty much are um, biometric, and they can put that right into your passport that it's been done. Yeah. Somebody has to decide to do it because that's the the best way to do it. I mean, the old Yellow Fever card was – I mean, you could fake that up if you wanted to.
3: <laughs> oh. <Jeez. clears
2: throat> Great. Yeah. You, you, you were going to say that? Or you, you were going to say didn't that. Did you just
0: tell us about driver's license? Or no, sorry, it was bike registration? <laughs> yeah.
4: Wow. Can I A's. said you could. I didn't say I would.
1: or I we're learning so much. Guy <laughs> What's that, Shirley? <laughs> That's
3: the go-to guy for the forged documents. <laughs> can I just ask, um, does, does anybody have a spare shovel? Because it'd be really entertaining to give it to Grant now just to see how deep he can <laughs> dig into
4: Well, we've actually been discussing this on The Hub and how, how do we're going to deal with getting out of this and crossing borders in the future. So um, it's been an interesting discussion and lots of ideas, but it comes down to the biometric and the passport seems to be yeah, there's no good reason why not. It's just governments have to say, this is what we're going to be doing. Because every time you go to a new country, they put your passport under their scanner and they know exactly what's going on. So yeah. that's going to be the best How way.
1: The, con- the consensus grant with your people on the, on the hub that it's okay that we should have the vaccine and if that what it's going to take to travel, that's what we'll do?
4: The general consensus, absolutely. You're going to have to have the vaccine. We have a denier or two who get quite vocal at times. Um, However, yes, generally, I'd say 99% of the people say, yeah, you're going to have to do that. It's going to be the way it is. Travel is going to be um, a little more careful and you're going to have to watch border closures. Things can change. Um, It could get away, but you're going to have to be... I think the way to look at it is wherever you go, you have to act as if there is COVID everywhere. All around you and treat the people you meet with respect and care and socially distance wear a mask wherever you go i think that's just going to become a standard thing for at least the next couple of years and possibly a lot longer Mm -hmm. we all know that it's entirely possible that there could be another pandemic coming brewing somewhere right now Mm -hmm. so who knows so i think we're going to be a lot more careful. I know I'm going to be washing my hands a lot more than I used to. And yes, I will wear a mask when I'm not uh, too comfortable with where I am or the number of people around me. Um, that's just going to become normal.
2: The way we're aging, mate, um, that might be a good thing that we were wearing masks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you
4: start uh, like over 80 in Australia and in Canada are the ones that are getting the vaccine first. Um, yeah. And then it's going to be 75, 70, 65 here. Um,
0: so yeah some of us are getting up there
3: yeah it's uk uk too that's that's how it's happening here what's what's it going to do
0: for style of travel you know because so many times you hear people talk about meeting people on the road being invited into their homes like what are you going to do grant are you are you going to go into somebody's home now and spend time with them if that opportunity came up or will they even offer it i wonder
4: i think if you're standing there like i I was going to talk about this a little later, um, but we were in Tunisia standing on a corner trying to figure out where we were going to go. This was just in a town, where was food and stuff. And this guy came up to us and started talking to us in pretty darn good English. And he turned out to be an English teacher. And in, in, um, I can't remember what town we were in, but some, some small town in Tunisia, I a mean, very small town. Um, but he was a local English teacher and he said, come to my house and uh, we will feed you and you can meet my family. And we were at first kind of hesitant, but after a little bit, you know, sure, let's do this. He seems okay. He's got good English. He says he's a teacher. All right. And we went and it was absolutely wonderful. We met the kids and the wife and the whole thing. And we sat down on the floor and shared a meal. It was wonderful. I wouldn't want to miss that experience ever, for sure.
3: Absolutely. It's one of the joys of travel, isn't it? And yeah. it's it's such a two-way thing. It's not you going there for a free feed. Um, it's all of the family getting the opportunity to ask questions and to learn and get involved and also see that this foreigner isn't some weird, dangerous person that actually, just like them.
4: Yeah. And I think going forward, I, I kind of been envisioning that scene in the future and Susan and I'll be standing there with our masks on and he'll come up to us with a mask on and we'll start a conversation and that'll be great. But if we're not standing there with a mask on in the town, he might be hesitant. Mm -hmm. And if he didn't have a mask on, I might be very hesitant. If he came up real close and wanted to talk, you know, closely, I would be very hesitant. But if they're making the right visual effect and, and you know, basically talking the talk of, hey, we have to be careful, that's okay. You know, if we're all doing it properly and we're all taking care and not doing stupid stuff, um, yeah, okay. And maybe the next six months, no, because it's just going to be too dangerous. But a year from now, sure, why not?
2: Yeah, I I think um, a little bit wider than that too, Grant. Think of um, uh, personal transport people won't be getting on crowded trains and buses and things like that or wanting to, and that's happening here right now. And uh, as far as the motorcycle industry goes and, and personal transport, I reckon there's going to be more bikes on the road. You know? yes. Just as a, as, a general, as a general comment, what do you think? Well, here in North America, off-road motorcycle sales
4: are skyrocketing. Every dealer in the country, Canada and the U.S., they're basically sold out of dirt bikes. Mm-hmm. So that gives you a clue. Um, And the street bikes are selling pretty darn well too, especially small commuter bikes selling very well.
2: Yeah. And and electric could be the next thing for um, uh, cities.
0: But that's for recreation. I'm not sure that that's what Brian was pointing to, you know, that's for for recreation thing. And I think that probably has to do with downtime with the pandemic and the lockdown that everyone leaned towards Mm -hmm. the off-road stuff. Um, But will people choose that as a way of transportation instead of, I mean, let's face it, there's all kinds of backpackers out there who do the backpacking thing. And the whole idea—you get on the bus, and you get on that bus, and this bus—will they become motorcyclists because of this? I think it's oh, possible.
3: Yeah, I do too. And sales of um, scooters and um, small CC uh, motorbikes um, in the UK have gone are really, really good. Bigger bikes um, are not so good, but I think that what will happen is that. Um, Things will change in let's let's say um, Thailand. It'll become much more the norm when you go to Thailand that you don't travel around on the bus and the train, but that you do hire. Um, Uh, a small cc motorcycle but i think that the regulations will tighten up within the different countries so that you can't just rock up without um, a bike license so we're going to see how things just completely differently evolve Um, but i think people will still travel there is such a hunger and such a fascination to learn the reality of what's going on out there and of course you've got people like us who are just going yeah it's brilliant <laughs> fantastic get out there and learn for yourself <laughs> um, yeah and, i think yeah, a
4: lot of what's going to happen ironic. too is these people are buying these small bikes and discovering hey this is kind of cool and i can go anywhere i want anytime i want and it will become normal for them whereas often in the past in order to become a motorcyclist, I know in the UK and Australia and a lot of other countries, it was a big deal to get a license But a, for a big bike. But for a small bike, it's not a big deal. And you get started and discover how wonderful it is and what you can do. A lot of people will be incented to upgrade, get a bigger bike, go a little farther. And I think that's going to be actually really good for the industry generally.
3: Grant, I've just got this image float across my mind of Hanoi and Saigon, and I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> is London, is Sydney really going to turn like that? <laughs> wow, now, <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, terrifying. another way, another
0: thing to look at is is what's that going to do for travel? I mean, for the way you've experienced it, the way everyone's experienced it up till now. But w- we've talked before about how people follow the guidebook stuff, you know, your photos or or whatever guidebook, and you're and you go to these places, they're overrun. Is that going to happen to motorcycle travel? I mean, are there going to become so many people riding motorcycles or or variations of motorcycles, and I mean scooters, etc., that it that it's almost cliched? Oh, That's a tough um, one. I, I, I
4: don't
2: know about that, Jim. You know, it, it, those of us who are confirmed motorcyclists. Know that you're going to get wet, you're going to get cold, you're going to get miserable on occasions, and it takes a fair bit of commitment and probably, probably a bit of stupidity to continue riding motorbikes <laughs> as you <laughs> get older. <yourself, up>. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, you know, the convenience of commuter travel I think will increase a lot, and out of that, you will get some people who would go on to bigger bikes, as you said, Grant, and you never know. You know, look at Look at the um, MotoGP and the and the number of people from Spain who are really, really good top riders. Where did they start? They were 12-year-old kids going to school on motorbikes, on their little yep. mopeds. Yep. And you know, the rest of the world has sort of dropped off that. And I reckon that you're going to see um, uh, some uh, rise to the top like that, really good riders. But, you know, just my opinion.
3: I think that's right. And I think what we'll, we'll find is that the same as we have now through motorcycling is that there's a, a niche where everybody feels at home. So let's just say this for the sake of argument, if people are traveling, you'll get some people that will really be happy going from town to town, city to city. And you'll get others who want to get way off the beaten track and out and about in and the farms and the forests and the deserts and that sort of stuff. So you'll have the different schools of thought amongst travelers. And that's one of the beauties that won't change of travel,
1: and I think another thing that we might see is um, more and more people doing the four-wheel drive, uh, mm-hmm. living in your truck kind of travel, mm-hmm. where you're yeah. not you're more independent, not having to check into hotels, and uh, so you can stay a bit more isolated in communities where where maybe you're not sure as to whether it's a COVID hotspot or not. RV sales here in Canada. Are Are you
0: guys seeing any rise in that in Australia? Oh, yeah.
1: You cannot buy a caravan for love nor money in Australia at the moment. There's months and months and months uh, wait on getting camper trailers and caravans. So as soon as they started talking about opening up the borders again, people were hitching up their vans and heading to Queensland for the summer and over to the west. So yeah, there's been a big A real increase in the number of people buying them. And people have got more money, which I, um, because they haven't had anything to spend money on, if they've been lucky enough to have a job um, there's a lot of money in banks. So, and borrowing money at the moment is as cheap as chips.
0: Yeah, it is here too. And that's, that's a really good point because I often wonder where's the money coming from? And I was talking with someone the other day and and they were saying that, um, well, one thing they're doing is they're not spending money eating out and this has been going on for months, Mm -hmm. that money alone. And that's just one of the things they they used to do all the time. That money alone sort of piling up for them and and is extra. So, I mean... That could be a few hundred dollars a month right there, quite yes, easily. Yeah,
3: cool. In some countries I've been to it's a few hundred dollars a, uh, a week. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, they, they were actually talking a hundred a week is what they'd mentioned.
1: Yeah. People who are working in the city gym, they go in and they get a coffee on their way into the office, then they might um, get another coffee mid-morning and then they'll have lunch in a, a cafe or get takeaway food. They don't take a packed lunch. Yeah. So they'd be spending a lot of money and that money they would have been saving while working from home. It, it's We yeah. still have. In the city, only um, 25% of people are allowed back into their offices, still 75% of our workforce is working from home.
0: Mm. And right. that I'm sure will continue mm. on. It's interesting that in a time where we were getting to the point where there was, there's a real big push on for environmental thought process and getting people onto things like transit. They've, they've done all kinds of, of work in cities with this small rail transit, getting people to ride that sort of stuff. And, and all of a sudden, because of this hey, we want our space now all of a sudden. And it, and it makes you wonder what's going to happen, you know, in the years to come.
1: A yeah. lot of people won't get trains here into the city. They take their cars yeah. now. Yes. They've gone back to taking their cars. And and that's going to be a problem for the environment. It's going to be a problem for traffic jams. Um, but we'll get through that and, and people will go back to the trains.
2: So hence the rise of motorcycles. Are we going to take over the world? <laughs> Well, there's also an awful
4: lot of people that, that aren't going into work at all. And my brother, uh, he's got two of his sons are at home still. And there's four of them now working from home instead of going into city. Yeah. So th- you, could, you wonder how much increase is there in the traffic. It it's might not be that bad because so many people are working from home. That's true. I know Susan works at the university here and her entire team, the whole section, they're all, nope, they're working from home. Yeah, what would have, and yet there used to be a rule you had to go in. You could not work remotely. Now you can't go go in.
3: I don't know what I think about this. Um, You know, one of the things that I'm really missing at the moment is being able to do things like hug my mother and Mm -hmm. going to events and parties and things like that and being able to hug my mates. And I know that makes me sound awfully soft but I like hugging friends. I think it's one of the best communications of affection and appreciation that you can possibly give, and it's not happening, and I'm really missing it. Mm.
1: Yeah, hugging's a big thing for me too, Sam. I'm a hugger, and... um, it's been very, very tricky, but we have a a, a medico um, journalist in Australia called Dr Norman Swan, and uh, he said on his uh, daily COVID update about a week ago that because of the level of infection in Australia is so low, he has started hugging. So for me, that was the uh, green light on hugging.
3: So, <laughs> nice one. So
1: we go if if yeah, Norman Swan yeah. can hug, we can hug. But you you know you're not going to people you barely know it's you know close yeah. friends and and that um, that physical contact and is something that people miss but the other thing of working from home not that i've worked for a long time but working from home you don't get that general chit-chat interaction and you don't get that shared knowledge that you're not necessarily going to get at a Zoom meeting, but if you were sitting chatting desk to desk, something might come up and you problem solve or you learn how to do something new on the computer that you didn't know how to do. And that is going to be lost if we continue to work from home.
3: I completely agree with you. And Birgit notices that was working from home. Um, and, you know, they've got new people in their team. It's very different when you've um, gone and had a coffee break with a new team member or just had a bit of a gossip with them um, in the break time. And then you're working with them. And the fact that you basically can't do anything like that um, working from home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll tell you, one of the side effects is, is interesting, for, um, not that I own any property in London, but I gather property prices in London are beginning to go down. Because people don't have to travel in from the suburbs to work in the city centre. So, suburb prices are going down. City centre office blocks that are standing empty. Property owners are telling telling uh, the, um, the surveys and so on that um, they're beginning to not be able to re-en- uh, re-rent Um, property and all that sort of stuff. So what's going to happen with all of this stuff in the middle of cities?
0: They're going to turn all those empty buildings into hostels for all the new travelers by motorcycle.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, great. Underground market... uh, Sorry, car parking, scooter parking. Excellent.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're turning some of the car parking in Melbourne into outdoor eating areas because uh, we can have as many people as we like outdoor eating now. So restaurants are shifting their tables out onto footpaths and and, uh, car parks next door to their restaurants or parks across the road so they can serve uh, a lot more customers. It's a really interesting time to see – a lot more activity in the streets. We've got a venue in, in this town called the Theatre Royal and it's um, the most amazing, it's an historic building. It's the Oldest uh, still operating cinema on mainland Australia. And they had a breezeway at the side of the theatre, which is now the most amazing beer garden. And they've put in a little um, microbrewery, which will be open over the Christmas period. And they've put lots of tables and chairs out the front. So it's quite the thing now to go and have an Aperol spritz in the beer garden at the Theatre Royal, and uh, they they can now show um, films again. So you then take your apron spritz and go and sit in the cinema and watch a film. So it's a, a different way of living, and in some ways, it's kind of nice. This outdoor, particularly here, of course, it's summer. It wouldn't be quite so attractive um, in the northern hemisphere where you folk are. But um, it's it's a it's a new way of dealing with things, thinking outside the square.
3: And and I think that's great. I really do. And, and this is what we've all got to be doing. Um, the circumstances have been changed for us. So now it's up to us to use all our abilities to adapt. And some of those adaptions are just going to be a hell of a lot better than what we were dealing with before. But I mean, thinking about events, the Overland event in the UK, Overland magazine event was the only outdoor motorcycle travel event to go ahead this year. Um, and fantastic, but they only just managed to sneak it in. But they've had to cancel their February winter warmer, which was always a complete buzz. You know, you're camping out with uh, on, on a field with grass that's punk-like with frost and all of that sort of stuff. But, of course, you can't have everything, everybody outside um, to the presentations and so on. That was very much an indoor event. So winter stuff just, yeah. Is, are they going to die? Mm,
0: events. Well, I don't, sorry, go ahead, Shirley.
1: They, I don't think so. I mean, as as we get the infection more and more under control, things like that will come back. The Adventure Travel Film Festival in Bright, which is the spin off from. Um, Uh, Lois and Austin's Mm -hmm. Festival in the UK, they're expecting to be able to go ahead in February. They have um, one screening a night at the outdoor cinema, but the rest are in venues around the township. So they may be restricted in the number of people in some of those venues, but they are um, at this stage expecting to go ahead, which is good. So those sorts of things. This year has been just everything's been cancelled from, you know, Big events in the city to local country shows where you might get a thousand people through the gate in a day. They've all been cancelled, but next year, hopefully, more things will will come about.
0: Grant, what's what's it been like for Horizons Unlimited this year?
1: <laughs> well,
4: it's been tough. We've actually run two events this year: France and South Africa. Both of them squeaked in 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 the in the lulls in the uh, infection rates where it was Considered to be safe and okay. Both of them were very much outdoor events. Um, Both of them had. uh, We have a COVID action plan for events where everything is spelled out: how you have to be careful, what you have to do, and everybody has to wear a mask. And there's, you know, there's hand cleaning sanitizer everywhere and all the rest of it. Um, And they went very well, and there'd be no reports of any infection from either of them. So they went very well, and we're very happy. But all the rest, 20-odd events, no, no chance. Just not safe enough. I mean, we're, we're very aware that a lot of our people are in the older demographic and therefore more at risk. We often go to small towns. So we don't want to bring COVID to any of those small towns. So, no, we just said, no, nope, not going to do it. So, it's tough, but we're hopeful for next year. If the vaccine gets out to enough people early enough, then we'll be going ahead. I think our first event, we've got one in April in Virginia. I'm not optimistic. I'm hopeful, but I'm not optimistic. Um, so we'll have to see. It depends on how well it comes under control and whether countries are doing the right thing and we're getting enough vaccinations going. So let's just be very careful.
0: Is it changing the way you guys are looking at doing events, the, the traditional way that you've done Horizons Unlimited events? Is it going to change that in the future? Or is it you think this is just an interim thing?
4: I think it has to be interim. Um, Trying to do everything outdoors is really difficult and really expensive. And you have to rent giant tents and those things come at absolutely stupendous, staggering prices. Remember, we rented one in the UK and it was 5,000 pounds three days. Wow. Like I know people used to
3: complain about the price to get into this um, the four-day event, and if they left it until too late, they were paying £79 for four days of yeah. um, just solid presentations and activities and all of the rest. Mm-hmm. And try to explain to people how much you were having to pay to pay for the marquees and things like that, and they just looked at you as if you were barking mad. But that's the reality. And if, you, if people are going to carry on doing outdoor events like this, a lot of it is going to be marquees, but with the sides up. So yes, that you get the full on ventilation. <laughs> so you, know, yeah.
4: it? you just need a you need a roof because you've got to keep the sun or the rain off, but you need flow through ventilation. So you need a larger marquee, otherwise the sun's gonna and the, the rain's gonna be coming in on the people sitting on the edges. So it needs to be bigger, so it's more expensive. Um uh, but yeah, that's just what you're gonna have to do. And we are looking at that very closely for next year for most of our events.
1: And I guess, Grant, you are going to have to pick and choose where you have them. Like Virginia, yeah. as you say, yeah. may not be such a good idea, but Australia, New Zealand, yeah. you know, that those sort of con- our sort of countries would be easier because of the the level of infection. But then you're going to have, be difficult because it will only be locals who can go. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Because yeah. there won't be travellers. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. won't. Yeah, there yeah, won't I don't tough. know when the when we're going to see as many travellers passing through places like Australia.
4: It's going to be a while. Um, I think the important thing is that the local people can get together and some of them have experience. They can pass it on what yeah. they've learned to all the newbies and you can do a lot of sharing. You don't have the, the cool factor of somebody from halfway around the world there doing a presentation and being able to sit down at dinner and talk with them, and sit around the fireplace and just have a chat. Yes, that won't be there but there's still an awful lot of people everywhere that have done some amazing trips and they're available to talk and learn from. So I don't mm. think it's a big negative. It's it's And and it's it gives you
1: more time to plan. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I think that's what everybody's doing.
0: Okay, um I think I'm let me just take a break here for a second. And thank our sponsor, which is freshtracks.co.uk, facilitating adventurous conversations. Uh, they work with all kinds of large and small companies to um, help build your team and help reconnect your team or connect your team even better. Their website is freshtracks.co.uk. And of course, throw are on there. You heard them on Adventure Rider Radio when you're speaking with them. Fresh Tracks. Okay. Do you guys ever get any sort of sense that some riders are sort of shelving it? You know, thinking, okay, this is done for a while. Maybe not even riders. Maybe travelers in general. I, I should really generalize with this and say travelers in general are saying, "I'm going to shelve it for a while and sort of do other things in my life." Or, or do, you, or maybe, or do you get the sense that they're they're just waiting, chomping at the bit, waiting for somebody to say go?
3: Combination
4: <laughs> on our site. There's no question. People are chomping at the bit, waiting to go. Um, a lot of people have their plans all figured out. They know exactly where they're going to go, when they're going to go, and what they're going to see. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of pent up demand. I'm sure there are some. You know, the older ones are going to be a little more cautious. They won't be 21. They'll be going out in 22 or 23, but they still want to go. So, I don't think that's an issue.
2: Yeah, um, I'm just thinking of my own personal experience. You know, I've got mates who are going to go over to Europe and hire, hire bikes and ride the, um, the Stelvio Pass and, you know, all through the Alps and all that sort of stuff. And, of course, that got knocked on the head. And um, we were going to go over and walk Hadrian's Wall and go riding motorbikes after that, and that got knocked on the head. Um, so, yeah, we modified our behaviour. And um, my mates were going to go for a ride to Uluru and the borders got shut. So that got knocked on the head. So there's been all these little setbacks along the way. Well, the other, oh, last week, Cheryl and I went to the movies at our beautiful Theatre Royal and watched a thing called Romantic Road, which is um, a doco film on um, a couple who traveled the hippie trail in the, in the 60s. And uh, then he's now a successful barrister in London and got an old 1932 Rolls Royce and um, shipped it to India and, and drove it around India strengthened the sideboards because he knew people would jump on the side of it, you know, and travel along. It was a fantastic little movie. We get home and Cheryl says, oh, that got the juices flowing. <laughs> next, thing she's got the, next thing she's got the calendar out and she's saying, I've always wanted to go to Egypt. I want to see the pyramids. We could do that and then we could ship our bikes to Barcelona and we could ride up through Eastern Europe and we could go and terrorise grain field in Eastern Europe and all that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> that's the sort of planning we're doing and you know but we're we're looking at 2022 not twenty twenty one. you know everybody's sort of putting things on hold but um they're keen we're all keen to go yeah i think that's what that seems to be the general sentiment
4: the younger ones are going to be going next year the older ones now they're going to wait a bit
3: and i'm watching with fascination to see the stories from those who do head out and how, what they learn about how to deal with the new challenges. It's going to be very interesting to see the information that they're passing on, how they deal with the different aspects that, well, that we're all facing.
0: Yeah, and, and how they're accepted too. That's something that I'm very curious about is as people start to go out really in mass again and start to travel around, how is that going to affect the, the experience? How is that going to affect how they interact with locals? Because for a lot of people, that is what it's all about.
1: And there will be yeah. people who will be reluctant to mix with outsiders um
0: yeah. out of fear. Oh, surely. Yeah. I think of sure. the, the countries that you you've heard of that where people, you know, have really kind of blamed the tourists for it or the or the foreigners for it. They've brought it to the countries, which is valid, right? You know, people coming into the country. It has to be passed around as we move from place to place. So how is that, if that really gets ingrained over a few years, how is that going to change? Are people going to let it go?
1: Mm. It's a hard yeah, one. That's, that's um, true. Yeah, but, I mean, we even talk about all oh, these visitors in town.
2: Oh, where have they come from? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a strange car. They shouldn't be here yet. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. Unbelievable.
3: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I was going on. Won- Go right, ahead, Sam. I-, I wonder how much is going to be um, e- economy led in that in so many countries around the world, so many people rely upon the- yep. for their incomes on the money that visitors bring. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, these people are really hurting big time. What are they going to find to do instead um, to earn their money from? Or are they going to bite the bullet and start welcoming people back and make sure that they are made welcome?
1: Well, when you look at places like Bali, you look at um, Mm. tourist places here in Broome and uh, the Great Barrier Reef, the tourist operators are really, really struggling because there's no international um, tourists. There's a town in Victoria called Sea Lake, which became the um, destination of choice for Chinese tourists to go and see the pink light on the Salt Lake. And uh, the motels there have just shut because there's yep. just no visitors in town. So once people are traveling, I think those sorts of people are really going to welcome them. yeah you know, economies yep. like India and places like that they must be missing.
0: The foreign mm. dollar coming yep. in, absolutely. I think that the, the companies can sort of deal with it. You know, you, you find ways, and we've seen this already. That a lot of companies that have stayed open have found just you found ways to do it. They've they've made you go one way in the aisle. They've they've doubled the spacing. You guys mentioned uh, in Australia, there even though things are open, the the tables are farther apart. I think there's ways you can do it as a company. Yeah. But I, I, but I'm what I'm really thinking is the non-commercial connections. Those people, how how are they going to think, and will they be willing to take a chance? One thing, if you've got a tourism. Business, business you know if i did i would say okay let's do all the precautions we can and and try and do our business but if it was just a matter of i used to invite people into my home to to stay overnight will i do it again i don't know
4: yeah for a couple of years anyway i
0: think or or will a vaccination card make you feel better you know you meet somebody and, and they can flash their card and 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 then you'll say okay come on in
1: yeah. Uh, unless you know Grant and he's told you how to dodgy yes. you up your card.
3: <laughs> so, so Grant, I'm very impen- impressed about your new pension plan.
4: Yes, should I give out the address to be able to get those
1: things? That could be a bit later. But I think people will be reluctant to welcome people into their homes for a while. But as Grant said, you know, a couple of years, hopefully, we will look back on 2020 and the biggest thing it will be is the answer to a million questions in pub trivia quizzes. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we will be back to normal. We'll be the friendly people that we were in in 2019, welcoming strangers into our homes and we'll be travelling into exotic places and... You know, as you say, Grant, we'll wash our hands a bit more often and carry hand sanitizer on the bike, as well as extra water for a hot day. You know, it'll just it'll just become second nature. And having a, a mask in your pocket that if you're going into a really crowded marketplace, just bung it on.
4: Yeah, I mean, Southeast Asia has been wearing masks as a as a fairly common regular thing just just to go to, get on a, a train or a streetcar. Absolutely. Or if they had a sniffle,
1: they wore a a mask. And it's not so much, um, well, obviously, it's not getting um, infection from other people, but it's also if you have infection, you're not going to spread it. And that's
0: sensible. I think people become aware of that. Yeah, I think that's very sensible. I mean, here they're talking about um, cold and flu down for the season. You know, the, the, um,
3: yes, so, course.
0: yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense if, we, if we're used to doing it. I think the thing was, there's a stigma attached, certainly in North America, you see someone wearing a mask, you'd wonder, what are they doing? I mean, you know, I'm, I couldn't even wear my helmet into the post office that they, they won't serve me. <laughs> you know, if I wear my helmet and now you can wear a mask, it's of course, it's no problem. You have to.
4: Yeah. I think that's going to be the big change for people that we will all worldwide be used to it. It'll be normal. And There'll be a stigma attached to somebody walking out down the street without a mask on and sneezing. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. Wait a minute. What are you doing? What's wrong with yeah. you? Yeah. you know, yeah. We know better than that now. And it's going to become the new normal um, will be to be much more careful about the risk of catching or spreading a disease.
3: And, you know, going back to, to what we were talking about with um, public transport, The engineers are going to come up with um, air conditioning systems which are going to be air extractors. They're going to be air exchangers, aren't they? And we've seen all the science fiction movies where air has been cleaned and recycled and pumped back in again and all of that sort of stuff. Well, there's so much that's science fiction about what's been going on this this year, isn't there? Um, Why can't they start doing that with buses and trains? They pump the air out and they replace it with fresh, clean air. And it's not just recirculated. And, and pumped around the whole blooming carriage, it's just sucked out, bang gone from multiple places. I don't see why that's going to be something that can't be done.
0: No, I think you make no, an excellent point there. That, that I'm, I'm sure that's what will. Now that you mentioned, it, I'm sure that's what will happen. That's how they will revitalize the uh, the transit systems and things like that, just by taking that extra precaution, which makes sense.
4: Mm. Yeah, I know that the the one issue with it, unfortunately, is the to be completely ecological you're pumping out good warm air and bringing in cold air, which means you need to pump, you need to create more heat from something and that's yeah. not desirable, which is why it's always been just recirculated. Yeah. Uh, so there, there is that issue. I mean, we used to have a house that had a really highly advanced recirculation system. You would pump warm air out, but the cold air coming in would be heated by that warm air through various ducting systems. And it was great. Mm. We, didn't ha- we had a very highly efficient house we have to do more of
0: that. You know,
4: it's yes. still not common to have a system like that. So it's going to become the new norm to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sam, what are you itching to get back to? What's when the, when they crack open the gates, what's the first thing you're going to run to? <sighs>
3: I, I'm really torn with my answer here. That m- My first instinct is Bergen and I, um, because we're both working, um, but we both bunk off for, um, for a month every year and we just pile our stuff on the bikes and we'll go and ride somewhere different, somewhere that smells different, sounds different, t- tastes different. Um, and um, I'm really missing being able to do that. Um, so those month-long trips... Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back to that but quite frankly I'm also looking forward to getting back to work um, March has been um, since March it's been a very very lean time um, for people who are doing the sorts of things that I'm doing anybody who's um, in the the literary or travel industry has um, been really hurting. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back to presentations and book signings and shows and meeting people again and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I miss it. Mm. It's, been, it's Yeah, it's a big part of my life that just hasn't been happening. But I am not complaining. I refuse to complain because I know how much better off we are than so many people in this world, people who don't have running water to wash their hands with, people who don't don't have access to face masks and hand sanitizer and all of those sorts of things people who have to go and mingle in markets to just to put daily food on their tables, people who live from hand to mouth, literally. So we are so much better off. But that doesn't stop me missing doing all of those things.
0: Because that, that's mm-hmm. that's how you make your living, isn't it? I mean, when you're going around doing your, your, your presentations everywhere, you get the word out there, people see your books, they buy your books. And without you doing that, then yeah, I mean, you're sort of just counting on people who find it online.
3: And, and um, you know, I'm so vulnerable at the moment because, for example, Amazon, um, bless them, have been out of stock of three of my books for two weeks now at this time of year. Mm. And I know my distributor has got the book stock ready for them to, ha- to have. And, and I'm just thinking, well, you know, how do I fight against that? I can't because there's no other way that I can do it. So I just have to bite the bullet on it, be patient and just get on with what I can do. Um, But that's the norm for so many people during all of this. And I have full respect for everybody who is concentrating on finding the positives and not wallowing in the negatives. And I'm saying that very carefully because I have quite a lot of friends now who who either lost somebody um, in their own family or lost a friend because of the virus. Um, And yeah, so full respect to them for what they're having to deal with. Um, but yeah, roll on the other side of this.
0: How about you, Grant? What are you sort of chomping at the bit to get at, you know, when things open up?
4: Well, as Shirley was saying originally, giving my mother a hug. She's 98, still living on her own, doing fine, but I can't give her a hug. And we deliver her groceries to her every, every two weeks because we don't want her going into the grocery stores, buying groceries, um, but it's so frustrating to be six feet away and I can't give her a hug. You know, it's, yep, it's very difficult, um, and and of course just about everything else too. I mean, going to a movie, we've got a classy old movie. It's oh, the theater is I forget how old, but it's old. Uh, just a block away from here. Nope, not going in there. Dairy Queen, the ice cream store. You know, visiting with friends and family. I mean, we had a family Zoom call the other night. And that was great, but it's not the same thing.
0: Oh, family Zoom call, That's so, uh, yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah, I think that's that's the biggest issue, is just not being able to connect with family as much as you really want to. Um, and of course, I can't go for a big, long ride. It's not considered correct. And of course, this time of year, you can't ride at all. Not here anyway. Well, you can, but I confess that I rode from age 16 to 21 every day for five years here in Vancouver. In the snow, when it really snowed heavy, it was fun because the police couldn't chase you. I, what did I say that? Man, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <boy>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes, you can't ride as much as we'd like to. Um, you know, so you can't go for a group ride with some friends. It's just not possible. And so, when that opens up, that's going to be it's going to be a big relief. I think a lot of people are just going to explode out of their houses and just go and do everything. It's going to be a very busy summer, I think. As soon as well, as soon as it's safe to do whichever, so, whichever summer it is. Relaxed. Yes, and whichever that, summer it is.
1: That, that happened here too, Grant. With um, you could go for a ride as long as you didn't stop anywhere. For you couldn't stop for coffee, you couldn't stop for um, a lunch or to meet friends. You could. So Brian would go for a ride there and back to see how far it was virtually, and mm-hmm. then when regional Victoria. They were allowed to ride, and you could go to a cafe, but they were selling um, only takeaway coffee. So you go in with your mask, you get a takeaway coffee, you would go and sit somewhere, socially distance, and have your coffee, um, and then get back on the bike and come home. But once they said uh, released Melbourne, there were people at midnight at waiting the at the, at the five at the yeah. at the limit of Melbourne waiting to get into regional Victoria to visit friends and and family again. Um, and the same when they opened the interstate borders, it was you know, the lead story on the on the news was people have been allowed into Tasmania and you know grannies meeting their grandchildren for the first time and people like you, grand who hadn't seen their mother for months, haven't been able to hug, meeting at airports and things. So once it starts to open up, people do go, just go for right. it. They just want mm. to enjoy it, want to get out there and and have a good time.
4: Yeah, yeah. I think everybody's desperate to get out and get back to normal. And I think that's where some of the problems and uh, the issues that we're having is people are desperate and they're pushing the envelope a little too much. So that's how we get uh, flare-ups again. Yeah. So yeah. I think I, I think of it like like a race. You know, when it first happened, everybody went went crazy, and it's like the first lap. It's a little bit of chaos, and things settle down, and then you're in the middle of the race, and you just kind of move along. And now we're on the home stretch. We can't. It's not the time to give up. It's the time to really buckle down and really work hard and really push to make sure that we do everything we possibly can to get to the finish line as safely as possible. I think that's that's something that I keep in my mind all the time. It's not the time to slack off. It's the time to really buckle down and get it right. Yeah.
0: Well, we're finishing, like, like we said, this finishes five years of us doing raw, which which I just love. It's the end of the year for 2020, which is—it's so funny because I—I I had so many people mention to me about 2020. 2020 is going to be the year, at least before COVID. Obviously, it's going to be the year. You know, it's going to be the great year. Obviously, I guess because the 2020 everybody had in mind, but it's certainly not turned out exactly like any of us have planned. But I just want to mention because Sam, you were saying about um, itching at getting back out there to to get on the road and get back to work. I was going to say that it's Christmas time, and and if you're looking to order things. Um, Sam, you've got you've got all your books there. You've got um, you're you're selling T-shirts now because I, I want to sort of give a little pitch for everybody here from me, because it is that time of year. You've got T-shirts now. What what else are you doing?
3: Um, audiobooks. Oh, right, right. Um, so yeah, the four books, um, audiobooks, and the three T-shirt designs. Um, and they came about because people kept on asking me. And also, I've, I, I've, I've always been a bit of an artist. Um, not many people know this, but the first year going down through Africa, I painted um, watercolours um, virtually everywhere I stopped. And I yeah. love doing it. And there's just this little itch in me all of the time, which is there to to paint and to draw and so on. And so the T-shirt designs came about because of that. Um, but it's also been a very nice way that people have been able to help support what I do. And I am very grateful to everybody who's gone, yes, that's nice. I like that. I'll have one of those. So thank that's
0: you. That's Watercolors. And you don't have trouble following the numbers on those. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So, (laughs) so Do you know, there actually is a very sad story about this because I made the big mistake of posting all of those paintings back in one parcel. Oh.
0: Oh, no.
1: You've never seen them
3: again. Only one that didn't get sent back. And I gave that to a friend in Cape Town who... Um, when I um, had that 17 bone fracture accident offered to put me up because she was bothered about me spending so much money on accommodation while I was getting over that. And um, she put me up in her own home. And so I, I gave her this painting and that's the only one that I know where it is and all of the rest of it. Yeah, well, it was good good fun painting them, but, um, yeah, it would have been nice for them to make it back. Wow. Yeah. There's
1: a postman somewhere in Africa who's got the most amazing <laughs> collection of watercolors.
3: <laughs> I, I, I happen to think that it's probably because I'm being very cynical about this. They're probably hung up – they were probably hung up on a nail in a long drop cabin somewhere. <laughs> Needs yeah. must
0: <laughs> well that's so um anyway back back to my pitch so sam's uh four books traveling around the world for eight years eight years was it mm, eight fine. years yeah. um Thank visiting you, all the hospitals around the world and uh <laughs> <laughs> getting re-
3: <laughs> uh, yeah one or two <clears throat> and the jail getting repaired
0: and patched up in different places um so uh, and of course we have links to everybody uh in the show notes shirley and brian you guys have written how many books now on your adventures
1: uh, We've done three. Three, three
2: books. Yeah. Three
1: books on our One for each major trip, and um, they're all out there. We haven't done audio books
2: or – Well, we did do – our first um, one was an audio book, but we go- gave the rights to the um, Blind Society yeah. um, so that they could uh, spread it amongst their community.
0: Oh, that's nice. so is that still for sale then? Good on you. No, uh, it was only for ever none. for sale
1: through um, – the Victorian school of the blind, blind I think. yeah, yeah. I yeah, and it was done with actors, not with us.
3: Oh, I see. <laughs>
1: And one of the actors rang to ask how to pronounce a certain city in Turkey. And I said, I've got no bloody idea. It took me a long time to work out how to spell it.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: how you pronounce it, go for it. Knock <laughs> yourself listen, listen,
3: guys, would it, would it be um, worth saying if you could encourage um, those to be released again? Because even if it was a fundraiser for the society...
1: Yeah, we should try and track it down.
3: Yeah, that's a good you've got, thought, Sam, you've got yeah. so many people who are interested in what you've done and read read the books and everything. And I've got loads of people who've read the books and then go ahead and buy the audio book because it's such a different medium.
0: Well, it's it different experience. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. Well, yeah, maybe
2: we should do I'm that. Good. I know. I know it's in um, the libraries and things like that. But
3: yeah, yeah. Good thought, Sam.
2: Thanks. And
3: well, if you do it, make sure I know so that I can help you get the word out. Yeah. Okay,
1: seriously sam do you think we wouldn't tell you
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: <Aww>. and grant
1: <laughs> with your network
0: <laughs> grant you have um you have your videos out on on vimeo for download I don't, do you still ship dvds
4: yes we just shipped a box set yesterday in fact so yeah there's for christmas there's the achievable dream series i know there's lots of people who have bought them we've already watched them but uh for that person who hasn't seen it yet, it's still a great Christmas present. Uh, the whole series is available how to and everything you need to know about riding around the world or just to the next country or the next continent. Um, it's available on, uh, on the website horizonsunlimited.com and also on vimeo.com slash horizonsunlimited. So I think those are something that people really love once they get it. You know, they're kind of, Ooh, what is this? You know, I'm not so sure about this. I'm not sure about the value. Is it there? I can watch stuff on YouTube for free. Well, this isn't YouTube, trust me. There's a very, very big difference. So we've had nothing but rave reviews on it. So check it out, horizonsunlimited.com and vimeo.com slash horizonsunlimited. So that's uh, something very important for Christmas. Uh, but I want to talk about something else as well. We've just started a new thing on the website about circumnavigators or around the world travelers. Uh, there's some wonderful history there about circumnavigations. Carl Stearns Clancy was the first, and until just a couple of years ago, was the first and still youngest to circumnavigate the world on a motorcycle. Mm. On our list, we also have the first British woman, the first Canadian woman. The longest trips, in the most countries, well, it's the forwards from Australia, which some of you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots more on there as well. Um, I've been thinking about putting together around the world travelers list for years and had it started, but just haven't gotten around to really working through it. And um, Mark Holmes wrote to me earlier in the year and said he wanted to make it happen because he'd just done an around the world trip himself. And while he was traveling, he was thinking about who else has done this? You know, how many other people have done this? So he put together with my list and others like Tesch in Germany, Mark put in a huge effort to check everything out as best as possible. So the list now exists and it's posted on the site at horizonsunlimited.com circumnavigators. Mm. And when we, I think it's, it's really cool. I mean, A lot of people have wanted to see this list and I, I constantly asked, you know, where is this? I just had a woman ask me recently, well, who's the first Canadian woman to go around the world? Sorry, you're not it. (laughs) It's already been done. Uh, We had 273 names when it first went live just a couple of weeks ago. We've already added half a dozen since, and there's over 25 in the confirmation process now. So it's, it's moving right along, and we're sure there's a lot more that we don't know about. Not everyone does a blog on their trip, and especially the older um, trips, and also non-English countries. I mean, we've got some from Italy and Spain and Poland and Czechoslovakia and other strange countries. I don't want to be saying strange countries. <laughs> other non-English speaking countries. Um, so we want everybody to have a look at it. And we want the global community to take ownership of the list because it's for everybody. It's just a, a little piece of information about the stuff that we've, that we're all interested in who's done it, who's done something, who's been where. There's some wonderful blogs listed, uh, wonderful websites that you can go to about to read about these people's stories and where they've been and what they've done. Um, and of course, if you know anybody that we've missed, please let us know. There's a form right on the page where you can fill in the information to tell us about somebody or if you've done around the world yourself and aren't on the list, and I'm sure some of you have, let us know right there. So check that out. I think it's going to be a fun thing. We can work our way through, and it's going to grow over the years. And it's, it's, it's a real central location for all this information. So please check it out. Oh, very cool.
3: I think it's absolutely yeah, brilliant you. that you guys are doing this. Fantastic. Good. People have asked me so many times in the past how many people have been around the world. And I've always stuck a wet finger in the air and said, well, oh, probably a thousand. But <laughs> yep. I have no idea. No idea.
4: Yeah, my thinking is it's a thousand or more could well, well be 2,000, but who are they? We have no idea. So well, we exactly. want to spread the word and get people to, let's get those names in there. Give them and, some credit for having done it.
3: And if you think about it, 2,000, since when When did um, Stern, Clancy Stern go around the world? Uh, 1913. Yeah, 13. 1913. Yeah. So since 1913, only, let's say, maximum of 2,000 people going around the world.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that really says something, doesn't it? Even think about where you sit in that list.
3: Yeah, you know, a mean? lot
0: of people
4: have done a continent or two, like UK to uh, South Africa or Canada to Ushuaia, things like that are very common. UK to Australia is a very popular trip. Um, UK or Europe generally, I shouldn't say UK, G- Europe generally uh, down, uh, these are common t- trips, but around the world, the full circle navigation, crossing two continents, or sorry, crossing two oceans, that's a- Different step, and it's a, it's a little bigger. Um, it's a bigger involvement. It's it's more. I'm completely lost words here. Commitment. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bigger commitment. Thank Brian, you, Brian. Nice. Boy, <laughs> he saves yes, the day. It's a bigger commitment. So, <laughs> I think uh, we all want to know about it. We all constantly ask I me, and the number of times I've been asked how many have been around the world, just like Sam, is legion. There's there's so often. Um, and who was first in their country? And has anybody in my country done it? You know, things like that are
0: little tidbits of information that people want to know about. Mm, I like it. Mm. I like it. Mm. We'll put a link in the show notes um, as well for that, so you can find Excellent. it.
3: Tim, could you put a link into Mark's book as well, please? It's a cracking. Yeah, yeah, sure. What, what is yeah, it? Mark's done a great job.
0: MarkHolmes.me. Okay.
4: The book is name is Rebirth from Heartbreak okay. to Happiness. Um, he's his his wife died and he ended up going around the world and ended up a happy very happy man. That's that's a wonderful story.
0: Yeah, we we, yeah, we had him on Adventure Rider Radio. Have yep, you. And Excellent. Good story. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put a link to that one in as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a book worth reading. Nice.
2: Yep. Well, I'm just trying to think. Oh, go
0: I'm sorry. Ahead.
2: sorry. Uh, i was just trying to think whether we've done it twice. We've done it once on Big Red. Um, Not around the world.
1: Though.
2: Yeah. Well, we went to South America. Yeah. We've yeah. done those um, common trips. That common trips. <laughs> <laughs> now, what? No, that'd be right. We've
1: done we've done six continents on the bike, six and, continents and we've done the seventh continent on a. Zodiac and a. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, there's not too many people who've done Antarctica. Zodiac a
0: zodiac. Oh, boy, yeah, the Zodiac sounds that exciting. That's how you
2: get there. <laughs> yeah, you want yeah. frustration.
4: We were in Antarctica, in Ushuaia. We booked a uh, boat to Antarctica. Parked the bike, got on the boat. We're halfway to Antarctica, and we ended up talking to the captain. You know, because we were still wearing motorcycle gear, and he said, "What are you doing?" And he said, "Well, we're riding around the world on a motorcycle." And he says, well, where's the bike? We'll, t- we'll put your bike on a Zodiac and you can ride on Antarctica. Uh, and you'll be the first.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, no. I heard, I heard that. Yeah, that's right. And, um, yeah, <laughs> we just left our bike on shore and then rode it to Alaska and then down through um, into Africa. So it shipped across to Perth, I suppose. So it left Sydney and then we rode across Australia. Well,
4: maybe we have gone around the world. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, have a think. We'll to go to
1: this part of part of your uh, web uh, grant and see the criteria. See if yeah, we can, we'll yeah, see if we it. It's all there. It's all there. <laughs> I tell
3: you That's what, right you there. guys will find some names there that you recognise and you've probably travelled with. Yeah. Yeah.
4: And there's so many you've never heard of. It's just mm. amazing. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I did notice on Horizon someone posed the question, if you do a trip, do you have to do a blog or write
4: a blog? <laughs> I saw that. Yes, yeah. that was a very popular thread. No, you do yeah. not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, people always say to us you should do, oh, why didn't you do a video? And having watched The Romantic Road about the couple in their, um, uh, their Rolls Royce and we've just finished watching The Long Way Up with Ewan and Charlie, well, those videos are all well and good if you're prepared to travel with a crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But you, to, to do it different. on your own is just uh, to make it enjoyable or even remotely professional is just virtually impossible.
3: Uh, full respect to them. I'm too lazy. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
4: I have so much respect for those that have done it. It's it's just a huge, huge job. Yeah.
1: It's yeah. enormous, yeah. enormous. And you end up spending your, um, your trip looking through a viewfinder instead of looking... Looking through your eyes,
0: yeah, everything you're doing, you're thinking and about- doing your trip over and over and over, like you know you're going to yeah. one yeah, spot and right. doing the same shot over and over.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. But the long way up, um, they—I don't know if anyone's watched it yet. They did it on electric bikes,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's a
1: and um, parts of it were interesting
2: parts of it. Feet <laughs> praise there, surely feet praise. <laughs> well, no. well, unless you've got a generator in the back of a truck following you, you, you really can't do it, I don't think.
1: And the people who did the Harley Davidson and the, the Rivian people who gave them the cars,
2: yeah, they the
1: they installed um, charging points mm. throughout South and Central America so they could charge up the bikes.
0: And You guys don't get that sort of help? When you're going on a trip? Well, we've had trouble getting
1: enough power to charge up the phones.
0: <laughs>
1: so I don't know how some people would feel if you said, do you just mind if we plug in our motorcycles into your very limited power supply in the middle of nowhere?
4: Yeah. The power supply that occasionally works.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> well, to to wrap things up here. So we don't get too long because I know Brian is itching to go for a ride after this, and he's going to walk on us. He's definitely going to walk on us.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. The books are on, ready to go. Travel. Uh,
0: let's just talk a little bit about you know how travels influenced your your life, and and maybe some I don't know if you've got a story about somebody you've met along the way. Something to leave this off on a, a nice warm fuzzy note. To end off 2020 and uh, and five years of raw. Sure. Well, well,
2: well, travel to me. Improves your emotional intelligence, improves your um, your your take on the world and the people that live in this world. I think that to me is the biggest thing that you gain out of travelling. Sure, we all love riding motorbikes and all the rest of it, but that's that's great. And I've been blessed to travel travel it with my partner, um, Papillion in a million, she's a great girl and takes it all in the stride. And you know, I just can't wait to get out there and experience. Going on a big trip with her again, if we if we can do it. Um, people that have influenced me. Uh, the thing that that I note is age doesn't matter when you're travelling. We, we met a young couple, uh, Bert and Heidi, um, uh, in Iran. Iran, and uh, we've remained friends for damn near twenty years now, and um, they're young enough to be our children or even younger, so I would think. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, you know, it's a kindred spirit and they had a big influence on us and, you know, when we were travelling down into Ashwire, they dropped everything, got through in their jobs and travelled across to Ashwire from Germany to meet us and travel with us for a while, you know. Those friendships last forever. But another one that I I, I didn't get his name that, just showed me that anyone and everyone should travel. There was an old American fellow we met in, I think it was Peru, on his bike and he was just chugging along by himself and we caught up with him and he was recovering from um, quite uh, horrific surgeries and, uh, you know, he, his lifespan was limited, put it that way. Um and he just said to his family, well, that's it. This is what I want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to go and travel. And if I dropped in on the road, so be it. But uh, it's my dream to do this. And I thought, you know, that's the right attitude, you know, just get out and do it. And the other thing that um, I find is that um, poor people are rich in different ways. You meet these people on the road who have virtually nothing, but they smile they will give you a meal if you if you, they think you're hungry. They will just give you everything, and sometimes you don't get that with people who have more. If you know if everyone knows what I mean, mm. so that's that's what I take out of travel. I, th- I think it's it's just a wonderful experience to see the world that way. Sure.
1: Yeah, and the and the people you meet. I think it's the people. Yeah. The um, yeah we've met. Schoolgirls in Iran who wanted to talk to me, practice their English, find out what it was like to live in the West. We've met um, people we've traveled with for a month or two months or two days that have made a lasting impression just with the camaraderie and the shared interests of, I don't know, um, broadening your horizons. It's, um, It's a great thing to do whether it be in your own backyard as it has to be at the moment or whether it's in someone else's backyard in a very exotic location as it has been and it will be again in the future. We're very lucky. We're very blessed.
4: Grant? Yeah, Brian said it so well. It's really hard to, yeah. to add to that. Um, I think for me, I've been influenced by virtually everybody I've met. I mean, you, you meet the occasional idiot once in a while, but – Generally, the people are so wonderful, so friendly, so helpful, so supportive, um, and interested in, in you and what you're doing. And And I think that's made me more tolerant, more accepting of other ways of looking at things. Um, I've learned that there are, there are many sides to any story. You only see one in the news or whatever. Um, I think that general concept of people are generally pretty good people, they're friendly, they want to help you out, Um, they want to know what you're doing, they want to talk to you. It's a wonderful thing. And yet, before I went off traveling, I had no concept of that. So that was a real learning experience for me. And that really contributes to an understanding of other parts of the world that is too often lacking from people that don't go elsewhere. I mean, there's lots of people that don't leave, leave their county much less their country. They have no idea what it's like in the rest of the world and they don't understand that, you know, we're all just people and we really want it pretty much the same thing as your neighbor next door does. We want a little bit better life for ourselves. We want to certainly want a better life for our kids. And we really don't hate you. You know, come and talk to us and learn what we think and why we think the way we think. And I think that's that's such an important thing to be able to get out there and do that. So That's where I'm at.
3: Sam? Yeah. Yeah, well said, Grant. Um, Gosh, really difficult to follow on from you three. Um, (laughs) I think travel's taught me perspective. Um, Because I've traveled, I know personally how things are in the countries that I've visited, so I'm not relying on being told. But the other thing that it's particularly taught me is a huge appreciation of being able to be based in a country um, such as the UK, and to have a passport from here. Um, All the opportunities and the freedoms that come because of that, um, well, they're just, um, yeah, just they're gold. one of the reasons that I love travel so much is because of other people's passion to learn just as much as I've got passion to learn. And I always stop and answer questions when local people ask them. And I know some travelers get fed up with it because it can be a bit repetitive. Um, but if that person is is hungry to know too, just like me, I'm, I've, I'll share whatever I know um, so long as they answer the questions for me. But a a lot of travel has taught me things like um, books and covers. Oh, I sounded like a teenager there, didn't I? Things like, um, (laughs) I I want to tell you a story about um, a a Colombian policeman because this is, uh, or two Colombian policemen, this is a perfect example of what I mean. Burger and I were in Colombia, and it was a time where it was only just becoming safe to ride there. Now this is pre-GPS, and I was having real problems with my bike. Um, we ended up taking a wrong turning. Um, perhaps we were distracted by the problems with the bike and so on. And it started to get dark. And we never rode at nighttime, and we knew how dangerous it was to be riding in Colombia in the dark. But there were signposts missing, and um, yeah, it just started to get really, really edgy. And Birgit and I were getting very tense about this. All of a sudden, it's pitch black. No streetlights, just potholes in the road. And moments later, there were blue flashing lights in in our rearview mirrors. And we'd heard all of the scare stories about what the police in Colombia were like at the time, you know, um, demands for for fees for, for various things. Anyway, you have to stop because, well, the Colombian policemen had guns, didn't they? So it's, it's pitch black outside the flash of these lights and the world had gone quiet. You know, you couldn't even hear the cicadas and there were the policemen. Um, you could see the silhouettes of them. We couldn't see their faces. We could see their guns. And at us came an, a really abrupt demand for our papers and the demand to open our luggage, these guys were ready to shoot. You could, t- you could tell from their whole body language I mean, Birgit and I ignored um, the luggage request, but we did hand over our paperwork. And um, Birgit, because she was pretty good um, with spoken Spanish, um, she just quietly, calmly talked to these guys and slowly the aggression faded. And then we realized that these guys were just as much afraid of us as we were of them. And that's why Uh. they had been so aggressive. They thought we were drug smugglers and they thought we were going to be carrying guns and they thought they were putting their lives at risk by stopping these strange people on motorcycles in this – we'd strayed into a really dodgy area. Um these these policemen then suddenly became protective. Don't you get realised you're in a dangerous area? You shouldn't ride at night time, and we explained the breakdown and the misturning, and um, lights flashing. The policemen um, guided us to a hotel and booked us in and made sure that we weren't turned away because by this time it was late at night. And for me, this is one of the the sorts of lessons that travel teach you. Um, often the people that you're dealing with are just as afraid of as you are uh, of you as you are of them always keep calm and treat people with respect. Um, but, you know, this stuff happens in, in developed world countries as well. Um, it's a people thing, isn't it? Kindness, respect for others, the willing to share mm-hmm. is such a human trait. And I think of USA and Canada, for example. Things have been done for me before I've I've even thought half the time that they needed um, to be done or I needed help. And I'm going to name drop a few people here. You guys will know who you are. Mark, Lou, Jim, Al, Chris, Flip, Randy, Alison, Steve, Cindy. And I could list for, for ages you know who you are thank you for being so open-hearted and so kind it's the people like you that make this world a special place to be um cheers i'm I'm loving traveling and i'm loving being around the people in this world of ours it's a wonderful place
0: very nice the four of you wow the tourism organization (laughs) should be paying for that (laughs) for that uh, that sort of a, a plug that's amazing and speaking of plugs, let's let's move on to plugs before Brian takes off on us and jumps on that motorcycle and, and goes away. Brian, I'll take you first. Actually, um, what do you have for
2: plugs? Um, it, well, for a plug, I I really think that one of the big things for travellers in Australia is uh, medical care in our outback. And if anyone wants to give anything this Christmas, I really think the Royal Flying Doctor Service is such a wonderful organisation and it brings uh, um, emergency care to the outback. And I I know of several riders that have come to grief in uh, what we call bulldust, bulldust, which is um, really fine sand, which you don't see. It's like powder and you'll be going on a bush track and all of a sudden you'll hit this powder and you'll disappear into these holes and come off. And um, uh, I know of several riders that have been rescued by the Royal Flying Doctor Service and um, flown to medical care. And they are such a great organisation. They rely on uh, donations every time we run any sort of event and you know, we pass the hat around to, to get money to go to a, a charitable organisation. Motorcyclists invariably put their hand deep in their pocket to support the Royal Flying Doctor Service. So if anyone's interested and they want to travel to Australia, when you come into the country, have a good think about it and and get on the site flyingdoctor.org.au and uh, think about just giving them a few bucks because it's well worth it. And if ever you visit Broken Hill or um, Alice Springs, you can go into their facility and see their planes and i will explain how things work and what they do and how they support the Indigenous remote communities in Australia by flying in and, and checking everyone out and giving all sorts of care they can to the remote um, farmers uh, on stations out in the middle of nowhere. So please think seriously. If ever you come to this country or for those of us who are going to the Outback, keep your head in your pocket and give them a few bucks. Mm. Thanks. Nice yeah,
0: one. That's and uh, we've had uh, we've had stories on Adventure Rider Radio of people who've benefited from the Rough Line Doctor service as well. Shirley, what do you have?
1: Well, I guess it's been a really tough year for humans, but it's also been a really tough year for animals all around the world, with people not having the money to help and um, or not being able to get to some places to give assistance. So. After you've given a couple of bucks to the Royal Flying Doctor's Service, maybe those who love animals should think about the International Fund for Animal Welfare or the World Wildlife Fund, who um, we have a soft spot here in Australia because they've done so much to help our koalas after our devastating bushfires at the start of the year, as if COVID wasn't enough. And um, But they also look after the bears and orangutans and you know threatened species everywhere, and if those species aren't there, What are we going to see when we visit some of these countries? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, maybe it's time to think of the animals as well as the humans.
0: Mm, That's true. That is so true. Sam, what do you have?
3: Uh, In the same sort of vein as Brian, Um, in the UK uh, we have um, air ambulances, and and these are charities, and they're helicopters. And motorcyclists in particular, well, hopefully it'll never happen, but um, these guys can get into the most remote places. And, yeah, okay, I'm talking the UK, but we do have remote places. (laughs) 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 And... Sometimes these helicopters are the only things that can get in there. You know, there are parts of Wales, and parts of Scotland, for example, where you just couldn't get an ambulance um, up some of these tracks to where somebody might be trail riding, that sort of thing. But these, um, the Air Ambulance in the UK is a charity and they have been really struggling for the last six months um, because a lot of their income comes from donations and from charity shops um, or op shops, as um, you guys in Australia call them. Um, and people haven't been out. So the charity shops just haven't been earning the money, yet these guys are still flying. And I know that they are getting very, very short of money. So so this is aimed particularly at people in the UK. If you have um, a local air ambulance, please um, donate your Christmas present money, or at least an amount, just out of Goodwill. Um, support the air ambulance, because yeah, they really, really need it. And if you don't have such a thing, just pick any charity that's looking after people or pets, as Shirley's just said, and donate something. Um, Christmas is just such a time of goodwill and let's let's get it all in our hearts and actually do something about it. Yeah, cheers.
1: And, Sam, you can, of course, donate to a charity and give that donation to a friend or a family member as their Christmas uh-huh. gift. Oh, that's
3: a good idea. Yep.
1: A, dropped, a Dr. Koala in their name for a year or – uh, help a bear or help someone in, you know, donate some money towards the helicopter services. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, I think fantastic. Prince William used to fly one of those
3: helicopters. I think he did for a while.
1: So it'd be worth having a car accident or a bike accident just so you could see. <laughs> no, <him,
3: really>. sure. <laughs> not. So. idea. I didn't, but I tell you what—you know—it was it was Bergen yeah. that started me thinking about this because um, she had her b- birthday a short while back, and she asked everybody, "Don't give me presents. Um, give me some money to um, to donate to the air ambulance." And that got me thinking about this, and I thought, "Yeah, what a fantastic idea. Yeah, we don't necessarily right. need more." stuff but we and what need a to fantastic
0: do more girl to yeah. think that yes yeah. that's true i thought it was government sam i didn't realize it was private it's private yeah. wow uh grant how about you
4: well i was thinking about uh, along the similar lines um the local search and rescue you know, here in british columbia needs support and at our travelers meeting in can west we always make sure that they get a little bit of money from the event as well but Past that, also, I think just donating to a food bank in your own area. There's lots of people out of work. There's a lot of people who are struggling and uh, food banks are struggling to get enough food to hand out. And it's coming up on Christmas. So your local food bank is a great place to donate to. And if you've got a local Christmas charity for kids, the kids are really struggling. They're in tremendous need of some extra cheer this year. So I think donating to a Christmas charity would be a great thing for that. So those are the main ones, I think, that are important. Plus, of course, what everybody else has already mentioned. And I'd just like to say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays or whatever works for you. And I look forward to seeing you all in a much, much better new year.
3: Yeah, too right. Well said,
0: Grant. And uh, I was going to say along the same lines, I mean, really just pick something local. I I know a lot of people aren't going out. They don't want to go out to do things and, and that's fine. But it certainly doesn't take anything to find a local charity online, somebody in need and donate to that. Anyway, um, yep. wrapping up, as I said, five years of Raw. We're about to enter year six. The next time we talk, it'll be year six. We'll have Michelle with us. we got a good year coming up. So thank you very much, everyone. It's been a blast for five years, and I can't wait to get into it in January.
2: Merry, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah, thanks, Jim, for putting all this together. And I'm sure many people appreciate it. And Merry Christmas to you all over there. Too, right? Thank you. Amen.
0: Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw, and thank you to my co-host Sam Manicom. Starting with Sam Manicom, he lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website: sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy, Rick's, and Brian Rick's are from Australia. They also publish their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get ebooks at their website: aussiesoverland.com.au. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the Hub Meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of Hub Meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. Adventure